I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, we're about being a the disruptive leader in what we call asset tracking, asset performance, and asset health. And when you have that architecture, which is just a very obvious, simple setup, suddenly the vendors collapse and it becomes like this, well, where did everyone go? I thought there were 377 companies in this ecosystem. Right. Right. And, and there are other people in this space, uh, but I think that's, t- to me, if I'm trying to figure out, well, who should I call, then clearly you've got to be on the list. We shipped a, a million beacons in the, the, the prior 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can assume that we've shipped um, you know, several times that. People real time view of where everything is. People, Correct. tools, raw materials, finished product. And this is, I mean, for manufacturing, to me, this is just a profound, huge leap forward in being able to be more efficient um, and to do a whole bunch of really interesting things. So what Waze is actually doing is deploying uh, uh, beacons inside those tunnels to help with kind of dead reckoning so that even though you don't have you know access to uh, uh, a cell signal, you can, you know, as that app goes by that, uh, that beacon, you're dead reckoning going, oh, I'm here now. Before you had BLE, before you had low cost sensors, before you had these gateway devices, right? There'd be no way to go monitor all hundred or thousand motors, right? Because You're listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem with Steve Statler. And welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem. My name is Steve Statler of Statler Consulting, and you've joined our podcast for location-aware solution designers. Uh, please subscribe and uh, send us any questions that you have or anyone that you want us to interview. This week, we are interviewing the Chief Operating Officer of Blue Vision, John Saylor. So, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Steve. Uh, I am really pleased to get you guys on board. Uh, what you are doing is close to my own heart at the moment. Uh, I think you guys have really led the way in terms of beacons uh, in the industrial Internet of Things for manufacturing, asset tracking. Uh, so this is a hot area. You're, we're seeing other great companies start to gravitate in this direction. Um, and I think there's a good reason for it. It's, it's, it's an area where there's just a a great ROI for customers, so we can help our customers make money with this technology. And also, if you're in the business of making beacons, then it's a great way of selling lots of beacons. So uh, it's very timely. What I would like to cover with you is let's talk about manufacturing 
and industrial IoT kind of use cases. Love to hear whatever you can say about what you've been doing with Google with Waze. That's kind of fascinating, and I think it's very helpful for all of us in the industry to be able to point to that. And you've recently been acquired, so we'll talk about the acquisition. Um, but before we go into all of that, can you just explain a little bit about what you do at Blue Vision? Sure. So, so you know, my role at Blue Vision, I, I as you mentioned, I'm the, the chief operating officer, and really my focus is kind of threefold. One is driving revenue in the company. Uh, the second is, which goes hand in hand, which is kind of the branding and the, and, the, and the positioning within the industry, you know, the marketing, Marcom, product marketing. And the third is all the fulfillment and distribution. So I kind of run the first half or I guess the, the front half of the company, as we would say, and then our CTO, uh, uh, Matt Johnson, runs the back half of the company. And then we roll up into uh, our, our CEO and founder, Jimmy Buckheim. Yeah, I met Jimmy, I think it was at a Bluetooth conference ages ago in the days when um, the kind of the beacon vendors were hardly ever mentioned, and now we're just kind of a regular staple of that conference. In fact, I'm going to be moderating a, uh, a panel at the next Bluetooth conference coming up in March, uh, Santa Clara Convention Center. We're going to be talking about venues. Um, and of course, you do have beacons in, in venues. You've got customers that are airports. Um, yep. What I would like to do is kind of uh, help people figure out where Blue Vision fits versus everyone else. I was just looking at Proxbook before we got on. 377 vendors in that database wow. of uh, companies in our space. And obviously, you know, what I do regularly is I kind of promote the book that uh, Beacon Technologies, which I wrote with a dozen other um, folks that um, specialize in this area. And Blue Vision, Blue Vision is actually listed in my list of notable vendors, and we have a bunch of criteria that helps people sift through who does what. Um, right. Uh, tell us what is it that distinguishes Blue Vision from some of those other hundreds of vendors in this space? Our strategy is, you know, we're about being a the disruptive leader in what we call asset tracking asset performance and asset health. And so really focusing on industrial and workplace environments. Um, tangentially, you know, we do do some things in retail. Uh, we do do some things in healthcare, but primarily through partners, um, you know, because we want to be very focused and we don't want to be this company that has a cloud that doesn't do anything or a company that does everything. We want to be focused on where it is that we bring value and that we're, we're, we're differentiated. And we believe it's in, you know, the location of an asset or a person Right, understanding where that person is, either in a real-time, very highly accurate uh, sense, or in a proximity sense. We want to be, you know, our, our our beacons all have sensors on them, uh, ambient temperature, or excuse me, ambient light, calibrated temperature, uh, three-axis accelerometer, and magnetometer. And so, so you know, not only can we, you know, uh, um, send out BLE signals you know, to interact with an iPhone or an Android phone, but we're actually able to send payload type of data. And so by sending that payload type of data, you know, that's why we're able to do, um, you know, location. And that's why we're able to do, you know, uh, um, health. And for us, like health could be understanding the vibration of a motor and understanding the temperature of that motor. So if we understand the vibration at a very high hertz rate and we understand the temperature at a very calibrated, you know, uh, accurately calibrated rate, we can start to understand what's the health of that motor. Okay. Right? And since we also have these, you know, uh, sensors, we can we can th um, track things like how many times the door opens in a cooler, whether it's an ice cream cooler, a soda cooler, or anything else. So we can start to approximate 
how many, you know, what's that, what's that, um, how, you know, how many times are people, how many times is that cooler vending product versus how many times is that cooler being restocked, right? So there's a lot of examples that kind of through our ecosystem that we can go support, but it still always comes back to asset location, asset performance, and asset health. And again, in industrial and workplace environments. I think that's a, that's a good summary. And actually, you know, I, I think uh, people may still be saying, well, okay, that's just where they've decided to focus. But there are real product implications of what you just said. And it really came home to me. I was doing a, one of our clients is a, is a manufacturer and sure. uh, they want to track pallets in, a, in, a, sure. in the manufacturing floor. And I'm sure. like, well, there's hundreds of choices. We're going to have to spend a bunch of time sifting through these. And actually... There aren't hundreds of choices because as soon as you take the smart, we're not going to attach a smartphone to every pallet. That would be ridiculous. What right, we're right. going to do is, you know, here's one of your beacons. We, we might attach one of these. Uh, and then the receiver that we put is, is not going to be a phone either, which generally a lot of these algorithms that are focused on finding someone in an airport, you're tracking you're basically tracking that phone and you're using the phone to calculate the location. And in this case, I've got one of your BlueFi receivers. Yeah, you you're basically sure. going to be using one of these and one of these. And there's no phone involved in it at all. And when you have that architecture, which is just a very obvious, simple setup, suddenly the vendors collapse and it becomes like this, well, where did everyone go? I thought there were 377 companies in this ecosystem. Right, right. And, and there are other people in this space. Uh, but I think that's, to, to me, if I'm trying to figure out, well, who should I call, then clearly you've got to be on the list because you guys have had these receivers for, for some time. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the history and and. Um, I've got another one of your products here, which uh, Jimmy gave me, which is uh, one of these stick and find things. What, okay. What's what's the relationship between Blue Vision and Stick and Find? Well, well first off, Steve, I got to tell you that I love that you brought your own props, um, and, and, and I'll talk about the Blue Fives as well because okay. this is actually we call these the the eyes and the ears of our our solution, and I'll go into that. Yeah. Uh, but to, to ask to answer your question, Stick and Find was really kind of you know if you think about the ecosystem of people trying to track their keys or their pets or anything else, and there are a couple of companies out there today that do that, and it's very much of a B two C product. Blue uh, Stick and Find was actually the first company that actually had the capability to do B two C tracking, and and basically the founder you know Jimmy and 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 his partners. You know, they in 2012, I believe, crowdfunded, you know, stick and find. And, you know, basically with that context in mind, just the ability to go track, you know, track keys, track your dog, track your cat, track, you know, whatever you want to go track, uh, um, you know, your phone or, you know, or your remote control and really using a, a smartphone app. Um, you know, in conjunction with that beacon to be able to go find that product. And so, you know, in 2014, I think what those guys realized is while this B2C market's interesting, there's a huge uh, amount of applicability of using BLE to go track items in more of a B2B environment. And so really they, you know, they, they switched focus 
and basically started, you know, Blue Vision to go in and solve these very difficult, highly scalable B2B problems. So for us today, you know, Stick and Find really is still, and we do have some customers that continue to buy that form factor, but for us today, it's really more of a form factor, uh, uh, you know, a small beacon form factor as opposed to a company focusing on B2C. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so basically more margins potentially in enterprise solutions. And But but you were doing the first high-volume asset tracking use case, and it's still the one that we use if you're sort of meeting someone for the first time who thinks about Bluetooth and headsets, then it's a great way of getting people to kind of wrap their heads around it. So it's kind of, I understand the logical progression. Um, Can you give us a sense of how how big you guys are? I know you just got bought. We'll talk about that in in, in a minute. But how large is the company, people, beacons, ship, that sort of thing? What can you say? Yeah, I I mean, I I can certainly talk uh, around a couple of those dimensions. I mean, first off, if you go to our corporate LinkedIn page today, You'll see that we are we have job openings for probably ten people. Uh-huh. Uh, so we are you know uh, you know up until the acquisition uh, by HID, which such a great fit for us and a lot of synergies. Up until that point, it was a bootstrapped company that was really um, funded based on some of the you know the stick and find uh, um, uh, profits, mm-hmm. as well as you know some of our large customers you know such as Google, such as Coca Cola. Um, you know, but we were that startup. So we, you know, again, 20, 30 people, um, very much of a development oriented company, you know, again, and, and this is, this is kind of an interesting, uh, uh, story in the fact that, you know, Jimmy basically, and again, um, I think, you know, in retrospect, it was clearly the right way to do right way to go hired up just a in, incredible staff of smart engineers around location, around cloud, around hardware. Um, and that's kind of where those, you know, those, uh, a lot of those first 20, 25, 30 people came from. Um, you know, then as, as, as we rolled into 2015, you know, we, we launched our first RTLS product and we launched it at CES last year. And at that point, you know, we really started then to start hiring salespeople. So right now we're still in that 20 to 30 range. We expect that, um, you know, given the, the, the growth that we're expecting, we'll probably be double that by the end of this year. Um, you know, so I, I think that, um, you know, and, and it still will always be a very um, technology-oriented company, uh, really going to support this roadmap into the future, because I think, like, um, you know, if, if you think about where the future is going, and you think about, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, a Bluetooth 5, I mean, we're doing things around, you know, outdoor location, we're doing things um, around kind of other, you know, the ability to kind of do RTLS without calibration. We're doing a lot of interesting things that are on our roadmap and the way that we're going to go continue to stay ahead of people and go drive value for our company and for HID and for our users is to continue to lead the technology roadmap and and continue to be the guys that are the thought leaders. So a lot of uh, very strong company now a lot of growth. Um, and so that's one way to go answer your question. I think the second way to go answer your question is if you kind of look out at what the analysts are saying, you know, in, in 2015, there's an analyst report that said we shipped a, a million beacons in the, the, the prior 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and assume that we've shipped, um, you know, several times that, uh, and that we, you know, given our kind of growth, 
uh, organically as well as our growth through HIV, you could probably assume that our our expectations are a lot of hardware and a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, SaaS services being delivered in 2017 and beyond. So I think when I first spoke to Jimmy, you, you, all of the funding had been pretty much um, friends, family, and and organic uh, growth. And yep. he was kind of musing about whether to do a f- funding round. Did you guys ever do that? Did you ever go out and raise a bunch of capital? No. So, you know, so again, if you got kind of look maybe 12 months ago, we knew that, you know, we, we now had a product direction with RTLS. We, you know, we had a couple of great customers, um, you know, and so we were kind of at that point that said, what is the right way for Blue Vision to grow? And so we did talk to several of the uh, VCs and several of them that you would probably know. We also talked to a lot of large corporations, um, you know, kind of a lot of the large SIs and large, a lot of the large technology uh, providers. And, you know, we as a company made the decision probably in June of last year uh, that we thought the right way for us to go grow was not going through an A round, B round, C round type of uh, environment, but really to go find the right acquirer for us that A had synergies from a product perspective, B had you know a global sales and distribution channel, and C had kind of global support. And so as we looked at our options, we clearly thought that um, you know that uh, going down that route of being acquired was the right one for us because our goal is is was never to go and cash out. Our goal was never to you know be this niche provider. Our goal was and continues to be to be the leader in disruptive next generation RTLS solutions. And so you know we went through the the process that most companies who are looking to be acquired go through. Uh, we got to, you know, let's say, uh, you know, late summer, early fall last year, and kind of of, of all the, the opportunities we had to be acquired, we just thought HID was just such a great choice for us. Um, again, for the reasons I mentioned, a lot of product synergies, both from a ID technology perspective as well as from a access control perspective. You know, uh, you know, great global brand, great global presence, sales, uh, distribution, and support, and so it became a no-brainer for us. So they've got a big sales force. Um, how, how big is that sales force? So, so their sales force and their sales methodology, I think, is a lot through channels and bars. Okay, that's very much what our sales strategy as well is. Because if you think about what we do, and you think about our ecosystem of blue fies and beacons and our cloud, there's a lot of different use cases. You know, in manufacturing, in you know workplace environments in distribution, you know, transportation, as well as in healthcare and retail. And so the beauty of Blue Vision is our ecosystem and our infrastructure um, can go support all of these environments. And so, you know, working, uh, I was just saying, so working with, you know, bars and channels who might want to go do, you know, kind of uh, specific um, uh, rules, specific UI, specific data structures for that uh, vertical, makes a lot of sense. So we do have a direct sales team that we're growing. That direct sales team though is really focusing on a handful of strategic clients. Um, and really we're starting to work with a lot of channels, bars, resellers who are basically either reselling or again, kind of developing on top of our solutions to go uh, support a specific market need. And that's very similar to what HID's strategy is generally. And so again, even a lot of synergies at that level. So, so what would a channel partner, what, what do HID's channel partners sell at the moment? It's access control. So these are the, like the RFID cards and the readers and that stuff? 
Um, it, you know, HIV has a lot of um, kind of a, a lot of different products. Um, you know, but their their two main their two main focuses are you're right access control and ID technology. So they do a lot of um, passive RFID tags, a lot of uh, NFC products. Uh, but the, the, the way that people always know HID, you know, because people always ask me, well, who is HID? I go, well, do you do you uh, need a um, access card to get into your building? And people go, yeah, I do. And I go, well, look at that access card. Maybe some of the time it's HID, right? And even in where Blue Vision's located, you know, in, in the, the building where we have space, to get in our building, we need HID access control. So that's how everybody knows HID. HID is doing some very interesting things, though, around uh, trusted uh, tags, uh, you know, and just ID technologies in general. So should we expect to see a lot of product integration between what they do and what you do? I think that's the expectation. Okay. And are there? Did they already have tags that had Bluetooth in? Because I think you've got both. I mean, you've got tags with Bluetooth and RFID or. Well, so, so if you think about, and just so you know, I brought my own props as well. All right. Uh, uh, you know, you'd hope I would have some, right? If you think about um, about this card, so this card has uh, both a uh, uh, a little HID logo as well as a blue a Blue Vision logo. Yeah. So we actually manufacture this card, and this card basically for us is very similar to one of our beacons. Yeah. Uh, it does BLE. It's IP67 waterproof. It has uh, accelerometer, magnetometer, you know, ambient light and temperature in it. Um, what we don't have is we don't have a, you know, an NFC or an RFID chip in here. So what we actually did even before we started, even before HID acquired us, is we started working with HID so that we could put one of their iClass or CIOS, what they call a disc, in here. And so this badge can be dual purpose. This badge can get you into the door, you know, through an access an HID access control, but then once you're in that door, it can go through that proximity location or that RTLS uh, um, inside that building. Okay, or a, or a factory floor, it could be used for safety. Uh, am I in a zone near a dangerous machine where I haven't been trained to, to operate and stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. So you've used RFID a few times. Many people will know what that means, but many won't. Can you give us a quick definition? It's not RFID, um, RTLS. Give us. Yeah. yeah. Well, RTLS, right? It's one of those things where you know, one of these days, you'll get that um, press release from you know Webster's Dictionary saying that they included RTLS in their their definitions. I mean, you know, the literal you know the literal definition is real time location uh, uh, services. Right or real-time location system, depending on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because a lot of people, when you talk about RTLS, a lot of people assume that RFID is RTLS. The way that we look at RTLS is the notion of understanding in real time where a person or an asset, right, someone that either an asset that has a beacon or a person that's wearing an ID card, you know where they are in real time. And for us, that translates into latitude, longitude. What's the true latitude and longitude of that thing? And for us, we can get down to a meter or sub one meter uh, of RTLS. Um, that's how we look at it. But again, a lot of people group R, you know, uh, RFID as an RTLS product, where for me, I go, well, that's really not RTLS. What RFID does is it will, it will let you know if someone passes you know, through a choke point, passed by an antenna, you know, a, you know, a, uh, uh, um, a reader, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good explanation, and I, I think to I, I think it's actually 
what we're offering in the industrial manufacturing area is quite profound because up until now, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different technologies, so I'm going to generalize. But generally speaking, if you wanted to know where the pallets were in a, in a warehouse, you'd have to have someone going around with a scanner or you'd have to have choke points that would measure the movement of people. And if you are asking people to scan something, sometimes they don't, so stuff gets lost. Uh, whereas what we can do with Bluetooth beacon-enabled RFID is give people real-time view of where everything is people, Correct. tools, raw materials, finished product. And this is, I mean, for manufacturing, to me, this is just a profound, huge leap forward in being able to be more efficient um, and to do a whole bunch of really interesting things. There's uh, regulatory, compliance, safety. And so I think we're, we're starting to see some early adopters. The, I, anyway. I, I'm, I'm on a roll here. I, I want to just go back and confirm, you know, what your view is. What is it that's driving your business? So, so the original kind of part of the bootstrap was stick and find. What's right. driving the revenue um, for, for you guys, and what, what 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 do you expect to change over the next year? Sure. So, so good question. I mean, you know, it's interesting, right? Because our you know, our, our, we have three main business lines, uh, if you will, or three main SaaS services that we uh, that we deploy. One is our, is our TLS. One is what we call PLS or proximity location services, and the third is condition monitoring, which is, as I mentioned, it's putting a a sensor beacon on a piece of equipment and being able to tell the the health of that uh, equipment. So so we've been rolling those things out. Uh, we're starting to get a lot of traction across all three of them. With some, you know, large global 100, Fortune 100 companies. Um, I would tell you though, you know, we're this kind of interesting company in the fact that we are very much around our, our RTLS, PLS, and condition monitoring technologies. We just happen to be saddled with the fact that we're probably also the best beacon manufacturer out there. And the reason I say that is, again, we have um, onboard sensors. This thing is IP67. You know, it supports. Um, a very long battery life. We're the guys that know both, you know, iBeacon and Eddie Stone very well, right? So, so there's just a lot of reasons. You know, we control our own manufacturing, right? We control our supply chain. So, so we are generally acknowledged, and again, we've been acknowledged yeah, a couple of years in a row by a by by various analysts as being kind of one of the leaders in, in hardware. And so, we will continue to go sell hardware um, as a standalone solution because people are buying hardware. Um, you know, again, across industries, whether it's retail, healthcare, uh, you know, industrial, you know, uh, um, uh, telecom, etc. So, so that will always be a revenue stream for us um, because we have the best product out there. That's probably driven our our um, revenue historically, uh, but obviously, as we continue to go grow um, our RTLS, PLS, and condition monitoring business, you know, those are obviously. Um, SaaS-based business on a, you know, kind of a reoccurring revenue stream, uh, um, you know, SaaS-based sale. So I think, you know, as you see us continue to grow, our, you know, again, we'll always have some hardware sales and we like that because, again, we are leaders there. But, you know, I think the majority of our growth will be growth solving these really hard business problems uh, around, you know, location. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Performance and health of an asset or a person. So where do you draw the line? So it's going to be in the SaaS and the services space, not that the hardware is going away. It's a foundation for that. But um, that's a huge space. And one of the things that I um, think is a challenge for companies that are pursuing that strategy is clearly demarcating what they're going to do versus what their partners are going to do. Because if you don't do that, then you scare off the potential partners and you end up being a a siloed vendor and you can't solve every problem. So um, uh, I think there's other vendors I can think of that, just have a minimal amount of cloud stuff. And they've done very well because partners now, these guys aren't going to compete with me. So what can you say to kind of draw the lines between what you do and what you don't intend to do? And where, where are you looking for, for partners? And uh, where have you decided, no, this is part of the bundle. It's just going to be simpler if we are a one-stop shop for, for these requirements. Sure. So, so again, I go back to it's the specific requirements of an industry uh, it's a specific you know, requirement of a company. How does that company go and deploy it? What are the business rules? What's the UI? What's the big data solution? Right? Those are things that we really don't do. Um, we can do them. We do do them for some smaller customers. But fundamentally, um, you know, our, our, our cloud, which is called BlueZone, uh, uh, you know, and you can access it at bluezone.io, it's API-driven. Meaning that um, you know we expose all of our APIs to developers, to partners, right? Because what we want them to do is again really understand the business problem that they're trying to solve. It's very easy to go say, well, it's it's real time location, or it's or it's proximity location, or it's you know condition monitoring, but that still doesn't necessarily take into account the processes, the specific uh, um, business rules that a individual company may have. And so what our partners are really good at is understanding that environment, right? Being able to take our technology and being able to go build again, whether it's a UI, right? Whether it's integration into an ERP system like SAP or Oracle, whether it's integration into an MES system, whether it's integration into big data like Splunk, whether it's again, it's, it's, it's all of those types of things that you know, we see our partners doing very well, as well as you know the project management, as well as the implementations, those things. So we, so if you if you kind of fast forward a couple of years, where I really see a Blue Vision playing is, you know, kind of this 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 company that's really building out the capabilities from a feature function uh, of the solution, but not building out the specific rules for a specific industry or the UI for a specific company or kind of a big data schema. That's great. Did that answer your question? It, it did. Uh, I want to yeah. uh, just ask you a question about this condition monitoring thing because uh, there's certain verticals that just appeal to me. I find them interesting. Airports are one just because of the massive volume. 
sure. but breweries are another for, for reasons that may be obvious to you. Um, <laughs> and I've been wanting you know, to. I, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> so, I want to figure out: is there an opportunity for beacons and breweries? Because, uh, and this kind of gets to a serious point, which is. I think they've got condition monitoring pretty well wrapped up. You, you look at the, some of the, I mean, San Diego's got 100 breweries, and I was at Alesmith uh, last week, and they had just, A, it's one of the world's best beers, Speedway Stout, and they've invested in this incredible facility, and they've got this, like, German th thing, and it's instrumented. They know exactly the state of every temperature variation and flow and everything. So I, I couldn't find any opportunities to stick a beacon on their industrial equipment. Where, where are you seeing this condition monitoring opportunity? And do you see any opportunities in brewing? Yeah, so, so I would disagree with you in the fact that, and we're in obviously, you know, CPG companies, we're also in um, industrial uh, manufacturing companies with our condition monitoring solution today. And fundamentally, what you see happening is, um, and let's let's take your brewery example. Um, Ninety percent of those motors are running the conveyors, right? They're running, you know, wow. specific pieces of equipment. What what most condition monitoring and, and they're one horsepower, they're five horsepower, they're twenty horsepower motors, right? They're but what. What most companies think of of condition monitoring is the ability to go monitor those 10 or 15, you know, very critical motors, you know, might be 500 horsepower, 1,000 horsepower, um, and they're typically wired solutions. Meanwhile, most of those locations, including your breweries, have hundreds if not thousands of 1, 5, 10, 20 horsepower motors that basically they've had for 20 years that been amortized down to you know no value, right? That they want to keep running, but there's no way to monitor those things efficiently, you know, cost in a cost-effective manner, right? So what we're able to do is, you know, again, we're solving a problem that's been a big problem, but technology has enabled us to go solve it. So before you had BLE, before you had low-cost sensors, before you had these gateway devices, right? There'd be no way to go monitor all. Hundred or thousand motors, right? Because while the you know the the motor manufacturers are all building in diagnostic tools into their motors, that's not what most plant manu uh, plant managers want, right? They don't want to be tied down to one brand. They don't want to have to spend a, you know five thousand dollars on a motor. They want to be able to go and, and, and take an off the shelf motor that is that they can go use any mo any five horsepower motor and plug it in. So we're hardware agnostic. We're very easy to implement. Um, you know, you basically go take this uh, this beacon, you literally stick it on the motor. That beacon then is is already, you know, that's that that vibration and temperature information basically is are is being transmitted through to our cloud through our BlueFies. So very little infrastructure. Literally within a, a matter of you know one to two days, you can have an entire factory. Um, you know, set up to, to monitor those 1, 5, 10, 20 horsepower motors. Okay, that makes sense. So, so especially if you've got a legacy, if you've got commodity kit there, then that's a sweet spot. And uh, I think there's a powerful message in terms of being cost-effective, allowing people to be independent of their established independence and not get sucked into buying an overpriced motor because it's got a bunch of proprietary monitoring in it. 
So, so, um, let's, so, so real quick, just to add to that, Steve, yeah. um, and, and this is not our customer, um, but, you know, kind of a, a short anecdotal story. One of the large uh, transport, you know, freight uh, transportation companies, again, has five, 10,000 motors. He buys his motors off Amazon. He buys his motors off eBay, right? Because again, his thing is that I, I, I don't want the fanciest thing out there. I want the lowest cost motor out there that is going to go solve my problem, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, there everybody's trying to go and reduce, you know, reduce their capital costs, right? I mean, you know, if if you went to the capital budgeting committee and said, hey, this month. Uh, I've got to go buy a thousand motors and they're going to cost a thousand dollars a piece because they have all these onboard uh, diagnostics, you know, chances are that's not going to, that chances are that is, um, you know, the procurement guys, the contract guys are going to go have a hard look as to whether that's what he really needs. Okay. Right. Right. What they, you know, because again, what they really want is lowest price motor, you know, and the ability to go understand, um, understand, you know, how to go and monitor the condition of, of that motor. And that typically is going to be, you know, this type of solution. Very good. Well, real quick, as uh, we've got so many questions I want to ask you, and we're running short on time, but uh, tell us what you, you, you name drop Coke, which is fantastic. Um, what generally are soft drink manufacturers using beacons for? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, when you think about soft drink manufacturers, you know, what you're really talking about is a global supply chain, right? You're talking about the the notion of the manufacturing. You're talking about the notion of the distribution. You're talking about, you know, the consumer-facing capabilities, right? All of those things, there's hundreds of use cases. And so what we're seeing, and it's not just from Coke, uh, um, it's from kind of all of those CPG guys, it's the notion of being able to understand are there, you know, manufacturing lines working? Um, you know, are they? Do they have uh, problems with their motors? You know, uh, where's the product? Is it, uh, you know, uh, uh, is it in the warehouse? Is it not in the warehouse? You know, uh, um, you know, what's the transportation look like from a cold chain perspective? Right. Again, if you think about what we do, you know, since this does um, uh, accurate temperature to two tenths of degree Celsius, if you think about in the United States, you've got the Safe Food Transportation Act, meaning that cold food manufacturers need to be able to go have an audit trail of the temperature of that food throughout the supply chain. You can go put one of these on a pallet and you can understand, you can monitor that temperature all the way through that supply chain. Then when you think about the distribution, whether it's through a cooler, whether it's at retail, you know, you can start thinking about things like what's the health of that cooler. You can start to think about the classic retail use case of proximity marketing and consumer engagement. So I look at, uh, at uh, uh, you know, the CPG guys as just being one very complex supply chain with a lot of different use cases. And I think if you talk to four or five of those CPG guys, they may all have different starting points. But I think, you know, like a manufacturing in whole, they're all very interested in how they can go deploy this very low cost technology, right, to go solve some of these very uh, expensive problems. You mentioned proximity. We've been talking about location. Help us draw a distinction between those two things, presence, proximity versus location. And how is your business addressing those? Are you, are you seeing people... Uh, 
is there a big demand for location or is basically presence and proximity good enough? Yeah, a good question. Um, I think I think the market itself is trying to figure that out and companies themselves are trying to figure it out. We often get companies coming in and we go, what type of accuracy are you looking for? And fundamentally, everybody says, I want one meter accuracy. Yeah. Right. And the reality is most, you know, in most environments, you don't need one meter accuracy. There clearly are, are some that you do. But for instance, you know, if you work with a, um, you know, a, uh, a airline or, uh, you know, uh, airplane manufacturer, right, they have maybe a dozen um, uh, repair hangers back to back to back to back. And each one of those hangers may go and be able to support, you know, different airframes, right? Uh, you know, whether it's you know, different airframes within the same family or different airframes from different manufacturers. Each of those airframes takes different scaffoldings, take different ladders, take different, um, you know, torque converters, you know, torque wrenches, what have you. And the problem is when you're thinking about, an, you know, uh, a situation where you've got all of these hangers, you know, over a, you know, let's say uh, – you know, 20 to 40 acre property, it's not about understanding is that ladder, you know, here or is it, you know, here, like from a, a one to two meter difference, it's about where is that ladder, right, between these hangers. Yeah. So in that case, you know, you're actually talking about maybe five, 10 meter accuracy is good enough because once I know where it is, chances are, because it's a ladder or scaffolding, I'm going to say, oh, there's that ladder. Yeah. So, so I think that that's the first thing is within RTLS itself, I don't necessarily know that people need one meter accuracy, even though we can go supply that in most, you know, I don't know whether they need that in most use cases, even though we can supply that. So that's thing number one, kind of the accuracy of RTLS. Thing number two, which was your question, RTLS versus PLS. And, you know, if, if I think about PLS, I think about, you know, historically, RFID, right? Again, the notion of walking through a door, right? And having kind of that, the infrastructure for um, RTLS around that door, you know, the, the, the readers and the antennas, et cetera. And, and you I said PLS, what does PLS stand for? So proximity Location Services. Yeah. yeah. So, so what we do, and, and it kind of gets back to our hardware, is this thing is, Bluefy does a couple things. If I just plug one in, to an outlet, and, and by the way, this is also could be powered over Ethernet, and also we also have battery-powered versions. But for this example, let's say I, I plug this into an outlet, just this alone, I can go create a bubble around that, and I can then understand if a beacon or a badge gets within that bubble, so enters that bubble or leaves that bubble, right? And so you know, and I can go trigger alert that says this badge came in that bubble, and that's okay. Or you know, let's say Steve, you mentioned the whole notion of. Um, you know, safety and security. Let's say that you aren't. Uh, um, let's say you aren't certified to do some operation, so you shouldn't be in that bubble. If your badge gets gets into that bubble, I can go set alert that says Steve's not supposed to be in that bubble. You know, either alert him or alert uh, you know alert someone that Steve's in that bubble. And so for us, if I just plug one of these in, I don't have to calibrate it. I can go create the, that bubble. I can then create that bubble near a door. I can create that bubble, you know, so again, kind of that, if someone comes in or out of that door, I'll know it. I can go create that bubble at the inside of a, you know, let's say a, um, a uh, high value inventory room. So if, uh, you know, some item that has high value leaves that room, I'll know it, right? Point being that I don't have to have 
uh, you know, these set up to go and understand with one or two or five meter accuracy. I don't have to, to do that to understand if something entered or exited an area. Got it. So what we're starting to see is a lot of the manufacturers that we're working with um, really just want to know, did something enter or leave an area as opposed to where exactly they are? Right. So I think you're going to see a lot of that PLS, that proximity location uh, from Blue Vision, maybe other vendors, because that's actually kind of the better, faster, cheaper version of active RFID, right? And, and we talk to a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturers out there that go, well, we have RFID, we like it. But it's just not very flexible, right? Because you have to go run wires, because you have to have a server, because you have to have uh, antennas, etc. And they want flexibility. And for us, the flexibility is just as easy as plugging this in, and all of a sudden you have a PLS zone. Yeah, and to me, uh, I mean, one of the things that we're actually going to talk later offline is kind of a roadmap for a for a customer and. Um, it seems like you can start off with proximity pretty easily. I mean, proximity is not going to give you the X and Y of where someone is, but it will tell you is worker number seven at, at machine B, and you can do that without doing a whole bunch of, and you don't know where machine B is, you just know that the worker is near machine B, and that's all you care about. You don't need to know exactly the X and Y coordinate. So, so it seems like it's a great um, step towards this kind of nirvana of knowing the exact coordinate yep. where everything is and, and you're from using a, rssi right you're using signal strength as the core of 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 this is that correct generally rssi is kind of the baseline of this but whether we're doing rtls or pls we do a lot of things in the cloud right to deal with things like reflection you know rf reflection to deal with things like probability uh curves to deal with, you know, kind of what we call, uh, um, you know, fingerprinting of various devices, you know, so so we do a lot of logic in the cloud to actually become very, you know, much more accurate than just RSSI alone, right? Because if you think of RSSI alone, if you think about when you look at your cell phone, um, you know, I can look at my cell phone right now and it will show me four bars. I could walk three feet away and it will show me one bar, right? If I'm near a metal object. RSSI does not do really well around metal objects. RSSI doesn't do well around people, right? So, so people, so companies that say, well, we're doing, you know, uh, location-based services using RSSI. There's a high degree of accuracy, right? So, if we go back to an to an example of, you know, being in a in a hangar, a hangar has typically a large metal tube in it, right? An airplane, a hangar could be open and closed. RSSI just doesn't, right? Because you're dealing with RF and you're dealing with, you know, all that reflection. RF reflection just doesn't deal well in those environments. So there has to be something more, mm -hmm. right? That kind of, you know, a lot of our secret sauce. That's why fundamentally we don't use, you know, off-the-shelf firmware to go power our beacons, to go power our, our blue flies. We wrote our own, our own firmware. You know, we do a lot of things, you know, that typically, you know, BLE does not support from a pure standard perspective. So while RSSI is kind of the baseline, there's got to be a lot more if you want to have any level of accuracy, whether you're doing PLS or RTLS. Okay, so it sounds like you've added some uh, an extra layers to look at the signals and uh, maybe filter out stuff that's spurious and that sort of thing. But you're clearly, you're not using angle of arrival um, and it doesn't sound like you're using uh, uh, round trip time because that you know there's a bunch of infrastructure there that would be more expensive and cumbersome you're, you're kind of taking the baseline of rss and you're 
uh, doing smart things at maybe the physical level and, and higher? Well, when, when you say that, I mean, we are the guys that own, you know, the, uh, the um, um, you know, uh, a differential time of flight over BLE. So we own that patent, right? So we are doing a lot of complex things. You know, we do, we are very familiar with angle of arrival. What I would tell you is it's not a one size fits all, right? People that say, well, I do just this, or I just do that, just that. We look at these things in totality because it's not just one solution that's going to go solve those problems, right? It's, it's kind of the totality. And so we typically run literally up to 20 algorithms, you know, in our blue zone cloud, you know, and this, this gets more into RTLS and PLS. Because again, PLS is more about proximity, where RTLS is clearly more about specific location. But we do just a lot of calculations, um, you know. And the guys that do just one uh, may work well in one environment or one situation, but probably don't work very well when you have a lot of different, um, you know, characteristics in an environment. Okay, so maybe some time of flight stuff in in the. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in in other stuff. Okay. Very good. So, um, to, uh, what, what can you tell us about what you're doing with Waves? I mean, Waves have actually said quite a lot about it. So, maybe get, for people that haven't heard, uh, tell us tell us the scoop. Sure. So, Waze, you know, uh, I mean, Waze by the way is amazing, right? If you if you use the Waze app, I mean, it's amazing. Um, you know, everything from you know uh, understanding you know traffic reports to understanding you know points of interest, etc. I mean, it, it's funny because when we talk to the Waze guys. They're saying that in some municipalities, you know, the first responders monitor Waze uh, and Waze is kind of the most accurate um, tool that they use to go understand if there's an accident or fatality. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it's, it's truly a brilliant solution. Where Waze has a problem, right, is when, you know, um, you're using the app and you go in a tunnel, right, because all of a sudden you don't have access to, you know, a cell signal. And so if you're in an environment where there's a lot of tunnels, um, you know, if you think about like Boston, right, you come out of out of uh, the airport and you're going through the tunnels, um, you know, Waze kind of goes blank. And but and all of a sudden you come out of that tunnel and there's three different choices of where you could go turn. Right. And so that's, you know, that's a, a safety hazard. Right. That's, you know, that's inconvenient. So what Waze is actually doing is deploying uh, uh, beacons inside those tunnels to help with kind of dead reckoning so that even though you don't have, you know, access to uh, uh, a cell signal, you can, you know, as that app goes by that, uh, that beacon, you're dead reckoning going, oh, I'm here now, right? And so you now can start to show the progression of where you are in that tunnel, which then allows you to understand kind of what's coming up. Got it. Um... So that's very useful. And uh, what are you seeing in terms of uptake? I imagine you're selling to like port authorities and governments. I mean, it's that's got to be it's going to take a while. I'm, I'm guessing before people you, you get a bunch of orders for beacons that are going to go into tunnels. I would just tell you that you know anything um, you know with ways. I would never underestimate their ability to standardize, right? And their abilities to continue to change the game and to get. Um, you know, to get solutions deployed, whether it's, you know, part of a, a Blue Vision solution or just what they're doing. I mean, again, if you think about how fast they've grown and you think about their market share and you think about just the amazing things that those guys are doing, I would never underestimate how fast they get things to market. Well, that's great. Sounds like more beacons out there in tunnels. And 
Uh, I was looking at the spec and it looks like this is uh, Eddystone UID. So we're not broadcasting URLs, we're broadcasting numbers. We're not, they're not ephemeral. It's not being locked down. So anyone can use them, right? Correct. So that's cool. So that's a platform for other entrepreneurs to figure out other things to do in tunnels. And, uh, uh, and it's an example of Eddystone actually being deployed, which uh, I'd love to, as we wrap up, just give me your thoughts on what you're seeing in terms of the split between people using iBeacon and um, people using the different and uh, the many different Eddystone protocols. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, and and, and I'm not, uh, I'm clearly not the, uh, you know, kind of the expert on that. But you know, uh, what I will tell you is, I think you know, both Apple and Google will continue to evolve their standards. Um, I will tell you that with what we know about uh, Eddie Stone and Nearby, we think it has a ch you know, the chance to really change the game. We're excited about what we see and what we hear from Google around it. Uh, you know, and we kind of, um, you know, just just think that it's going to help continue to push, you know, the industry. And, you know, a rising tide, you know, or a, was it a rising tide lifts all boats? And so we think that that's good. You know, we continue to believe that Apple will continue to evolve iBeacon. We think that's good. Um, I would tell you that uh, a lot of our business is not necessarily focused on either, you know, either of those standards, right? Because a lot of our business is focused on industrial and industrial payloads, yeah. you know, so, you know, so, you know, while we, we like what those guys are doing, we think that just there's amazing um, innovation coming out of, of Google and out of ways and, you know, potential innovation coming out of Apple, you know, for us, we just, we just like the fact that BLE continues to, you know, the use continues to uh, uh, um, grow and, uh, you know, the speed of innovation continues to grow, which is good for us. So you, you touched on, and I wasn't sure whether it was kind of a flourish of figure of speech uh, about the future evolution of iBeacon. I mean, we've seen none uh, uh, so, so far. It's a 1.0 standard and uh, from a personal perspective, you know, why would Apple do anything more with it? I mean, I can for Google, Eddie Stone's potentially something that could drive tens of billions of dollars every year because it makes search better, it makes advertising better, and those are massive businesses. I don't really right, right. see what iBeacon does for Apple's business, and I don't see why they would uh, do anything more than what they've done already. I don't know whether they need to do anything more. What's, what would you say to that? Uh, you know, I would just tell you that I would be surprised if, they, if we don't continue to see innovation out of them. And I agree with you, right? Uh, you know, they made waves when they first uh, uh, came out with uh, with uh, um, the standard, you know. But I would tell you I'd be surprised if they don't continue to innovate. Huh? Well, that's food for thought. John Saylor, this has been fascinating. Um, yeah. We've got to wrap it up. I completely okay. failed at making this a 20-minute interview. But uh, uh, for, for those of you who are still... Uh, watching and listening. Thanks so much. And uh, send us your comments, questions. And John, once again, thank you. Hey, thank you. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Are you, are so, you very musical? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a hugely a musical guy. Um, I probably have 150,000 songs on my iPod sitting in my car. And when you put it on random, um, you know, you might get, uh, you know, the Dead Kennedys right next to Gloria Stefan right next to um, you two. Right. So so it's it's you're always putting your trust that whatever song comes up next isn't going to be so um, 
embarrassing if you've got people in the car. Because yeah. <laughs> I have a few of those embarrassing songs um, right next to some of those really classic songs. But, um, you know, fundamentally, I would have to think it's one something um, from Led Zeppelin. Got it, got it, got to pull out Led Zeppelin is. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, I probably have 30 Led Zeppelin songs that all could be in that uh, in that mix. But so we'll, we'll, we'll say kind of uh, non-controversial and we'll just say something by Led Zeppelin. Well, uh, I, I, need, I need one because I like to, I've started overlaying them on the soundtrack, so you need to come up with one. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say then, um, what would I say? Cashmere? I might say Black Dog. Uh, we'll go with Black Dog. Okay, very good. Uh, I think my second song um, is probably going to be really old U2, like something from Boy or War. Uh, and we're going to go with, um, actually, we're going to go with the song October, which, you know, very moody song. Um, so we're going to go with October as my second song. And you know what? I'm going to go with something light uh, for my third song. I'm going to go with something from like, um, you know, I live down in, in South Florida and we listen to, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, Latin music. I, I would probably go with something from, um, you know what, we're going to go with a great summer song. We'll go with The, the Girl from Ipanema. Oh, love that song. That's so, so, so you've got you 2 you've got, uh, um, you've got uh, Led Zeppelin, and, you, and then you've got like, uh, depending on the version, you know, like Sergio Mendes. Very eclectic. I lo love all that. So you're in Florida, which is just very vibrant with Cuban influences and probably lots of other things. Um, but did you, did you move to Florida to, to work for Blue Vision or were you already there? No, I'm the guy that um, I moved down to Florida, you know, right out of school in the early 90s, uh, early mid 90s to work. I was a manufacturing guy at Motorola. And Motorola, Motorola paging. If you're, you know, for those who are, you know, old enough to remember the days of the pagers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mid '90s, every pager, like generally every pager around the world, came out of Boynton Beach, Florida. And so I ultimately ran distribution for Motorola paging. Left uh, and you know, kind of became a, a, a technology guy and then um, a startup turnaround guy. So I've been, I've had the opportunity to move to Singapore, to move to Germany to move to Silicon Valley, Dallas, Atlanta, etc. And I never thought I'd be the guy 20 years, 20 plus years later, who's still in Florida. Yeah, it's a great place to be. Wonderful, yeah. well, thanks for that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.